decisions that we make, often the circumstances that they bring into our lives, last us a lifetime. And as we'll see, we're going to look at Joshua 24 a little bit tonight too. Every single one of those choices is up to you. You can choose this day whom you will serve. As we pick up in chapter 8, we find this. But Daniel purposed in his heart. And that word that's translated there, purposed, means to with forethought, with depth of soul, with great intention, with tremendous effort, with his heart, with his soul, with his mind, and with his strength. He purposed with that seat of the soul, the heart. Notice it doesn't say he purposed with his mind. And I believe that that is very intentional. Because we can mean well and think good things, amen? Just as Walt Disney told us, think happy thoughts. You can well wish, you can think on things, but to purpose with your heart is to apply apply the full intent of your soul and your soul's desire. And in order for that to be true, it implies that you have sought the Master. The Master ought to be the Lord Jesus. But for everyone, it's whoever the Master is. And as Jesus rightly reminded us in Matthew's Gospel, No man can serve two masters. For every decision, there is only one consultation of the master. Will it be the master of the world? Will it be world, the flesh, the devil? Or will it be the God that created you? That is always the question. And so tonight... A critical choice. Would you pray with me? Father God, maker of heaven and earth, great I am, wonderful, counselor, mighty God, prince of peace, everlasting Father. Lord, sometimes we forget to give you the glory due your name. Tonight, we want you in your fullness to speak to us through your word. And so, Lord, we set aside everything that would distract or disturb. We lay down our vain thoughts and our imaginations. And we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us as your children. And, Lord, we ask you to not just give us ears to hear, but hearts that are open to do. Lord, lives that are willing to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Help us, Lord, in those critical choices that we will have to make. Help us to make them in a way that pleases you. We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Verse 8 in Daniel 1, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies. And I want to immediately cause you to pause on what's being said there. Remember, as we saw last time, where he is. Remember what he's been asked to do. Remember this tremendous opportunity for compromise that sits before these four young men and Daniel is their leader and chief. They're no longer in Jerusalem. They're in Babylon. And very much as our world tries to get us to do today, Uh, When in Babylon, do as the Babylonians do. When in Rome, do as the Romans do. When in a carnal, godless society, do as that carnal, godless society does. Who's going to care? Who's going to know? Everybody's doing it. Amen? 
That's the, that's the mantra that we hear today. You Christians are old-fashioned. You're not culturally relevant. Your ways are outmoded. Your Bible is outdated. You need to get with the times. You need to take a portion of the king's delicacies. You need to do what everyone's doing. That choice is before you today. That choice your children will have to make. That choice each of us has to make. And has to remake virtually every day. Because the world is still throwing that same question at you every day. Ah, go ahead. Will anybody really know what you do? After all, you're on vacation. Nobody's going to hear. After all, these aren't people you actually normally are around. Go ahead and use those words. Same question. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine with which he drank. Daniel says with a loud voice, I don't care how many people are doing it. I don't care that it's legal. I don't care that all the powerful elites and power brokers and power players are doing it. I don't care that if you took a poll, the poll would come up. I'm going to be in the minority. I am going to do what God has asked me to do, and I will not defile myself. I want to ask you a simple question. Can you say that? Can you say that? When faced with the world and all that it has to offer, can you say, I will not defile myself? And if you can't, I want to ask you to really search your heart and purpose to do better. Because you're more than able. God's given you the strength. He's given you the will. He's given you the mind to be able to do it. But he's also given you the choice. And therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Don't care who knows it. Don't care if they laugh at me. Don't care if they mock me. Don't care what anybody thinks. Don't care what anybody says. I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to do what's right. I don't care if there's nobody with me. I'm going to do what's right. I don't care if anybody sees. I'm going to do what's right. And now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And I love this as it begins to unfold as we look at the remainder of the chapter tonight. It is amazing how much respect you get when you simply stand for the Lord. Oh, people may whine and complain at first, and you may have some naysayers that come along and say, you know, you're just way too into this Jesus thing. But at the end of the day, you'll have their respect. At the end of the day, they may not even agree with you, but they'll still respect you for standing because most people are truly impressed by someone who actually has a standard and keeps it. Even when they don't agree with it. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who has appointed your food and drink. <laughs> He's saying, you have any idea what you're saying? Don't you know who told you you're supposed to eat of this stuff and drink this wine? Have you not gotten the memo? Did you not see the decree? That was old Nebi's signature there on the bottom. It said, 
Do it or die. For why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Isn't it interesting how he immediately turns to thoughts of himself? Hey, I don't want to get blamed with you not doing what you're supposed to do. You're going to see that in life. People trying to convince you to do the wrong thing for the wrong reason. I don't don't want to get uh, hauled into your mess. You're going to make my job hard. After all, i got to go back and tell him you decided not to eat of his meat and drink of his wine. He was trying to be nice to you. You want me to go back and disrespect him? Uh Uh-huh. If it means standing for the Lord or standing for the enemy, I'm going to stand for the Lord. Thank you very much. Then you would endanger my head before the king. I love that. What an awesome motivation. Self-preservation. Man, you're going to get me in trouble. Can I say to you, many people will make the accusation that you doing the right thing is going to get them in trouble. You know why that is? Because they've been doing the wrong thing and it makes them look bad. They should have stood. In this case, the chief of the eunuchs really doesn't know what Daniel knows and doesn't believe what Daniel believes. But nonetheless, the ways of the Lord are true and righteous altogether, your Bible says. And so no matter what someone else knows, what the Lord has said is always the best. And so Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days. And let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink, and let our appearance be examined before you, and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies as you see fit, and so deal with your servants. I love this. You let us worship our God. You let us be true to his word. We'll not take of the things that you've given us, And you see at the end of ten days that we're not better off than people who take in the world. They were willing to put their money where their mouth was. They were to let their doctrine be duty. They were walking the walk while talking the talk. They were willing to stand when everybody else was cowering and cringing. Will you dare to be a Daniel? Will you take up that call? Will you take up the cause? You see, they had a critical choice to make. You and I have the same things going on in our lives. There's a parallel story that I, that I love to, to bring into this, this message. And if you want to turn there, because we're going to look at a significant number of verses. In Joshua chapter 24, I want to pick up in verse 11. You all know the story of Joshua, and here there's been... Uh, this time when the Jewish people have entered into the promised land and they've battled many different nations. They've been successful for the most part. They've lost a few, one most. And at the end of that time of history, it says in verse 11 of Joshua 24, And when you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the men of Jericho fought against you, and also the Amorites the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Any ite there was fought against them. All of the itish people. Sounds like something from J.R.R. Tolkien. The ites came against them. All of them. Every last one of them. Notice what it says. But I delivered them into your hand. The odds were stacked against you, Joshua. Can I say to you, the odds are still stacked against the body of Christ from the world's perspective, but not from God's. 
I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, so that two kings of the Amorites, but not with your sword or with your bow. And I have given you a land which you did not labor. He said, so great was the victory that I wrought for you, you didn't even win it. Do you believe that about God? Do you have that kind of faith? Lord, we're going to get slaughtered. It's stacked against us. The world's against me. Everything I I know about this world says I'm on the losing team. There's way too few of us, and most Christians are shrinking. Are you still believing and trusting God? And I have given you a land for which you did not labor, and cities which you did not build, and you dwell in them, and you eat of the vineyards and of the olive groves which you did not plant. He's saying to us, writing to Joshua, speaking to us, better part of 3,000 years later, look guys, everything you have, whether you believe it or not, I gave you. What you have, you really didn't earn it. It could all be taken away from you like that. Do you trust me? If you trust me, make the right choice. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. You say, what don't you get about this scenario? Same thing that we see in Daniel. What don't you get about it? Has not God been good in spite of the world being bad? The answer is yes, he has. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Choose. Same exact thing that Daniel faced. Choose. Life, death, Satan, the Lord. Same choice every day. You can walk into that bar. You can go by our new pot store we have here in town. Get your medical marijuana. After all, you can get a card. You can go see Dr. Bob. Tell him you have uh, undiagnosed pain, that your bunions are baking in the summer sun. You have to choose. You can watch that movie. Nobody's there. You're by yourself. You're at home. You have direct TV with 7,597 channels, of which 7,594 of them are evil. You can watch anything you want. Nobody's there. What are you going to do? You're away on business. There's that cute guy, that cute gal, what's it really going to hurt to have a couple of drinks? After all, I mean, choose. There's that tax form. It's from Satan anyway. (laughs) Choose. Officer Rodman's looking the other way. Choose. You see that extra case of soda that's in your cart they forgot to ring up? Choose. You get the picture? Who are you going to serve? What are you going to do? Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, Remember, God had given it to him. It was no longer the, the land of the God of the Amorites. It was God's land. He'd already given it into their hands. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Life's about choices, folks.
every single day life's about choices. About what you say, about what you do, about what you think, about what people know about your God from how you live your life. Every day is full of choices. I don't want to be too harsh. And I don't want to put anybody under bondage. But that really is the sum and substance of our, be- our, of our obedience to the Lord. It's making right choices. Choose this day whom you will serve. Can you say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord? You should be able to. You should be able to. Does that mean that no disaster will befall you? <laughs> Heavens, no. A book of Daniel is going to show us that rather cataclysmically. Does that mean that you know everything in your life is going to go perfectly, and you know God's just going to put a halo over your head, and everything's just going to be rosy? Of course not. But I'll take a bad day with Jesus over a good day with Satan every day. Every day. Because, you see, I know what God allows he intends ultimately to use for good. I also know what Satan allows he ultimately wants to destroy me with. Huge difference. Choose. What choice will you make? Satan says, serve me and I'll give you the world. He said that to Jesus, didn't he? He's still saying the same thing. Serve me, I'll give you the world. You don't believe that? Look, look at Hollywood. There, is, there are very few things on this earth that are more pathetic than washed up Hollywood folks. Amen? They used to have jillions of dollars. They used to be handsome and or beautiful. They, they used to have power and influence. They'd pack stadiums. I was reading a little blurb on Madonna today, and don't get me wrong, I think she's evil. But I'm sitting there thinking, when's she going to give it up? She's in her 50s. She's still parading around like she's 20-something years old. One day all that elastic's going to (laughs) snap. That Botox is going to dry up. And it's going to be a train wreck. And there ain't going to be too many people paying $175 to stand in the front row and shout for two hours. And then the worst thing of it is one day she's going to take her last breath. And without Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior, she's going to perish having gained the whole world. Satan says, serve me. I'll give you the world. Jesus says, serve me. You're going to lose your life. And in the process, you're going to gain heaven. You see, it sounds like, well, I'll serve Satan, of course. Now, nobody really actually says that that I know of. But in those choices, isn't that actually what we're saying? That's what you're saying. Well, Lord, I trust you with that, but not this. I'm okay with doing that for you, but not that. Family of God, the Lord wants all of us, not just part of us. He wants us to make those choices His way every day. Human logic in this situation would say, hey, man, Marduk has won. You know, Nebuchadnezzar's God has won. We're here in captivity. He must be more powerful. I'm going to do whatever he asks. Isn't that human logic? It's what I'd be thinking. To put it into perspective for you, that's exactly why the French surrendered their own homeland. The Nazis won. They'd come in. It was over. The blitzkrieg comes. The French citizens are going, 
We're serving Adolf Hitler. There's not much we can do. We can resist and die. Or we can give in. You feel like that every once in a while? Like if you resist anymore, you're going to die from it? Keep resisting. Thank God for the French resistance. Those, those brave few that out of barns and underneath haystacks, a few at a time linked together to supply the British with information that ultimately led to the invasion at Normandy. There was a few that resisted, and a vast majority of them lost their lives doing so. But in that resistance, they were actually on the right side. They said, no, this is evil. I won't do this. I can't do this. As God's people, we're not to be conformed to this world. We're supposed to be salt and light. We're supposed to be different than the world. Amen? People should know that we're different. And I ask you a question. Does the world know you're different? You see, the choices that you make to serve the Lord will make you different. That's what's going to happen. You're not going to do things the world's way. And people are going to look at your life and they are probably going to go, man, there's something seriously wrong with you. I mean, you had the opportunity. I mean, you had the winning lotto ticket in your hand. You see, Moses had the same thing, didn't he? Wasn't he educated in Pharaoh's court? Wasn't he given the keys to Pharaoh's kingdom? Moses was a very powerful man in Egypt. Moses had his faults, but at the end, he made the right choice, didn't he? He said, you know what? I'm done hiding behind this speech impediment. I'm done self-deprecating. I am finished serving the God of the Egyptians. I'm going to go back to serving the Lord. And I love that story because you know what? Moses was not exactly perfect. And neither are we. Do you recognize that in making choices, God allows for turnarounds? Hallelujah. He's the God of second and third and fourth and seven millionth choices. I am so thankful that His grace and His mercy extends that far. That when I have wandered, He's just waiting for that one choice to turn around. And then to consistently begin to make choices the the right direction, the right way. You see, when we look at our Bibles, we find a whole litany of people who have made choices. And when they've made good choices, ultimately the Lord has delivered them. And when they've made bad choices, most of the time we find in Scripture they've lived long enough to suffer the consequences of those bad choices. You want to see that in Technicolor, read the book of Judges. And king after king after king did what was right in his own eyes. And all begins with the people. Well, you know, we're really not interested in David. I mean, we want a king that's tall and handsome and, you know, looks good. And when he's on TV, we, he doesn't stutter. We're attracted to the flesh, folks. And we need to recognize that. Because a vast majority of the decisions that we make that are wrong are attached to our flesh. Seems right to the flesh. Seems good to the flesh. Oh, yeah, I'll have, you know, I mean, after all, I mean, I mean, Pastor Jeff said that having a beer is not sin. You know, I've actually had people now comment on this. Yeah, well, you said, you know, not having a beer is not sin. I, I, yeah, I did say that. But I also said, don't be mastered by anything. So he said, the very fact that you're making this an issue with me means that you didn't get it. You see, we're forced every day to make choices. Your children, your grandchildren are being forced to make choices. They go off to college, even Christian colleges, they're forced to make choices. 
Who are you going to serve? What are you going to do? You're going to take up the king's delicacies? You're going to go to that frat party? You're going to go to that sorority house bash? You're going to do what everybody else is doing? And don't think for a moment, just because it's a Christian college, that those Christian young men and women aren't just as prone to battle the flesh as any secular university on earth. You still have to make the right choice. You still got to choose this day whom you're going to serve, and so did Daniel. Are you going to follow after the psychology of the world? You're going to be forced, and so are your children going to be forced to make that distinction as to who they're serving. First Thessalonians chapter five, a verse that you should all have underlined, underscored, and highlighted in your Bibles, particularly. Verse 22, and it says there, for you, for me, for the church, for God's people, to abstain from the very appearance of evil. Not just evil itself, but the appearance of evil. It means don't be associated with the image of evil, is what it actually means. Don't be found so close to evil that you would be associated with it. What choice are you going to make? They're critical. Your associations matter. Daniel's associations matter. Notice what he's doing. He's in the king's court. He's under order from the king himself. That has now been handed down to some subordinates. Those subordinates have come and said, if you don't do this, it could cost me my head. You need to serve Babylon. And Daniel's saying, and you can only imagine what's running through his mind, because if the chief of the eunuchs is going to lose his head, I think it would be a natural assumption that Daniel's was on the line too. Amen? He's willing to make that choice. To eat the king's fare uh, would have the appearance of giving an allegiance to the Babylonian gods. Now, to us, we're like, oh, you know, I don't have any Babylonians in my neighborhood. You know, I haven't seen a statue of Murdoch anywhere. Uh, you know, I don't worship the sun god raw. You know, I don't have any idols in my car. Yes, you do. Click in there through your Sirius satellite radio, and there's the nine Playboy channels. Oh, I'm driving down the road. I mean, after all, this might be funny. Choices, which, by the way, you can have those deleted from your playlist. Just call them up. They'll do it for you. Just a little word. You see, you have choices. Oh, nobody will know. How about when your kids turn on your satellite radio? Hey, Dad, what's this? There's the bill for the satellite radio on your desk. You mean you pay for that? Yeah. Choices. They'd eaten of that meat and drank of that wine. They would have been disobeying God's law. God had told them to eat only of the clean things. Remember, they're still under the Old Testament law at that point in time. Don't do it. I often get asked the question, why, well, why did they reject the wine? I mean, oh, how come they, you know, the big deal? Really, the only prohibition in the Old Testament was for the high priests and the priests, specifically the kings, were not to drink strong drink or a lot of wine because they needed to be sober to perform their function. Amen? But what I think it is, is they said, you know what? If we're going to err, we're going to err on God's side. We don't want to be associated. We don't want anybody to think that we're just like these Babylonian knuckleheads. We're going to go all the way for the Lord. When somebody sees us, and this is exactly what I have spoken to you from this pulpit, 
I'll tell you straight up, you're not ever going to find a verse in your entire Bible that says having a glass of wine with dinner is a sin. There isn't one. It's not there. Period. No prohibition. I'm sitting down there, Black Angus, and we have the bottle of Cabernet Sauvignon there on the end of the table. And then you all come celebrating a birthday. Hi, Pastor Jeff. Wow, that's a nice bottle of wine you got there. And exactly how much of that did you drink? Oh, my. All of a sudden, I'm being associated with the Babylonian gods. Amen? I may have not had a single glass. It may have been on the table when I got there. That's why I don't sit down at a table that's got a bottle of wine on it. I go to, you know, Romano's, and you know how they always have the big bottles of wine sitting on the table when you get there? Could you please remove that? If it isn't gone when I sit down, it's gone right when I get there. Not because of what I might do, but because of what you might think. And I don't say that to inflate me at all. I'm just telling you, you must have those kind of concerns. Because that is how the enemy traps you. The enemy traps you incrementally. Let me share with you, no one turns into an alcoholic overnight. No one wakes up one day, boy, I think I'll drink this entire bottle of gin. It starts off serving in Babylon. Oh, well, it's just the king's delicacies. I mean, everybody's doing it. I mean, after all, every major sports figure drinks some kind of beer. And I'm only using this as an example of something that you can associate with in our society. It is viewed as perfectly normal, completely healthy, everybody does it. Matter of fact, you can't even have a good party unless you do that. So why should we be concerned? Because there are millions of people in our nation who have been ravaged with alcoholism. And every time I say it's okay, they're going, see, Pastor Jeff does it. Now I realize my picture's not on every beer bottle in America. But figuratively speaking, what you associate with, what you allow into your life, becomes the basis upon which the rest of the world judges your God. What the church does, God gets blamed for. Or God gets the glory for. Choices. Who are you going to serve? One of my favorite all-time sayings that Pastor Chuck gave me, and I've shared it before and I'll share it again. The best liberty that you will ever choose to exercise is the one that you choose not to exercise. Amen? You can do all things. All things are lawful, but all things don't build up. There's a lot of things you can do, but who are you choosing to serve when you do them? You serve in your flesh, you serve in the world, you serve in the devil. It sounds kind of legalistic, but in fact, virtually every choice you make has the capacity to be either for the Lord or against him. Mighty men have fallen throughout time and throughout history to that God in a bottle, as I call it. Daniel and his three friends knew that God's prophets had predicted that they would be there. And so I believe there's another little secret here. They knew full well that if God brought them there, he was going to do something with them. And they wanted to be a part of what God was going to do. Have you ever thought about those circumstances that maybe are negative in your life, that maybe God brought you there? He's got something he wants to do, and he had to bring you a a desperate and dire situation in order to accomplish that purpose? I I look back on my time in business in the last few years that uh, I was in business. 
I thought then the entire world had caved in. And I became a raging alcoholic. I, I thought that, the, that my life was in essence over. And I look at it now from the other side. And I see the hand of the Lord in all of it. Because I wouldn't be here tonight. I would never have experienced the things that God's allowed into my life if I'd have continued down that path. And so God allowed in my life some very difficult choices. And even the ones that were made poorly, He allows you to look back on in hindsight and go, Oh, now I see. These four youths had hidden the word of God in their heart, and I believe that that's one of the substances upon which they were drawing at this time. I believe that God was at work in their life speaking to them, and as they'd had opportunity to study and had taken in the word of God, they now had the word of God to trust in and rely on. As I was doing the memorial service today, it's kind of a weird thing that happens and it's so God. Like as you look down at your notes and they don't even matter. And all of a sudden scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture just pops into your head. One right after another. Sometimes speaking entire sentences which turn into paragraphs just from scripture. I think that was going on in Daniel and his three friends' lives. Part of the Shema that the faithful Jews would have repeated, it comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, it's there, verses 4 through 6, but part of that is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, and love the Lord your God with all of your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. And then it says that these commandments that I give to you today are to be inscribed or written upon your heart. You see, because they had done that, they knew what choice to make. That's why I'm so blessed to see you guys here. Not because of me, because I know what God's Word will do in your life. And as you take it in, and you commit it to memory, and it resides there in your deepest recesses of your thoughts, when you need it, you'll have it. When those choices come, you're going to know which way to go. It's where Daniel and his friends were. And we need to dare to be like them. You know, Romans 8, as you you look at the totality of it, one of the great truths of Romans 8 is found in verse 31. For if the Lord be for us, who can be against us? And it's a rhetorical question. Of course the Lord is for you. So there is no one who can be against you. And as Daniel's sitting there, he's going, bing, the light bulb goes on. Hey, let's take it to him. Have you ever wondered where the sanctified boldness comes from? It's from the promises of God. To be able to speak the word of the Lord with truth and with power, you're, you're relying directly on what God has declared of himself. I don't have to worry about those words. When I make it up, got to worry about those words. But when I share with you the truth of what he said about himself, I'm golden. I'm like, here's what it says. It's truth. That's why the fear of the Lord, Proverbs 9, verse 10 says, is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge from the Holy One brings understanding. You see, when you make those choices, if you've got a database to draw from that's heavenly, it's a lot easier to make the choices. Amen? You know, I sit there and I think on the things that that the Lord has done by the power of His Word in my life. And it's kind of freakish almost. It's that type of thing when you sit down and you talk with somebody 
It's like I already know what to say to them. Not because I'm smart. Not because I'm learned. But because I have so much of the word of God buried in my heart, it's like, got an answer for that. Got an answer for that. I have an answer for that as well. Not me, but him. He's already spoken it. Here it is. It's the owner's manual. It's just like kind of flip through it in your head. So when somebody asks you possibly about some choice that they're getting ready to make, guess what you get to do? You get to draw from that. Verse 14, he goes on. And so he consented with them in this matter. I love this. You see, the power of the word of God does this. After a while, people are just like, okay, okay, you, you're, you're not going to let it go, so I'll go ahead and let you do it. And tested them ten days, and at the end of ten days, their features appeared better and fatter in the flesh than all of the young men who ate of the portion of the king's delicacies. Let me share with you something. The world tastes good. God is good. The world tastes good. But God is good. You see, these young men were eating beans and, you know, and I happen to like, you know, lentil soup and those kind of things. I like those things. I actually really enjoy a good five bean soup or whatever. But I'm thinking after 10 days, I'm looking for a Big Mac. I'm, you know, something with sauce hanging out of it and cheese. I don't, you know, I'm like, not really. I'm not a veggie guy. Veggie burgers are good for skeet. (laughs) That's just me. If you like them, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. But there's something that happens when you eat of the goodness of the world. And you've all seen this in people's lives. Have you not met people who look significantly older than they really are? Because they have partaken of the things of the world? And have you not also seen just this incredible youthfulness in, in often the eyes and the facial features of someone who's walked with the Lord for a vast majority of you and wonder where that smile comes from and that depth of character and the love that they have and the vigor and all of it? It comes from the Lord. You know, sometimes I get around senior saints and I'm, I'm just like, Man, God, you can, you can see the work of the Lord in their life. Visibly. You can actually see it. And then you bump into that person who's just gone hard after the world. And you're like, oh, Lord. You know, I've talked, I've talked to people and, 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 and I don't want to give you the wrong impression. I'm not trying to judge, but I think most of us, you know, one of the things that we, we look at, okay, well, you know, he's got some hair and he's got no hair. And we look at the big things first. And one of the things that we often do, I think most of us do, is we kind of guess in what age group people are. Man, I've had the occasion to be so unbelievably wrong. You know, it's like the, the cares of the world. The, the delicacies of the king's table have taken their toll. Their life is ruined. And thus the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. He said, man, this is working. This is awesome. And as these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all of the visions and dreams. And now at the end of the days, when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them before Nebuchadnezzar. And then the king interviewed them. And among them all, none was found like Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah. And therefore they served before the king. You see, the choice that they had made had actually given them favor. It didn't look like it was going to work out too well. It had tremendous risk. Are you willing to take risk for the Lord? Are you willing to say, God, I'll go where you send me. I'll do what you ask. I'll speak when you tell me to speak. 
even if it's going to cost me. Are you willing to make those choices? And in all matters of wisdom and understanding, about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all of the magicians and astrologers who were in all of his realm. What an incredible picture this is. You mean if I make the right choices and I do the right things, that ultimately God works together all things for the good, for those who love him and have been called according to his purpose, just as Romans 8.28 says? Yes, that's exactly what I mean. Doesn't mean that you might be eating vegetables for a while. You may not have all the things that you want. You may even be in prison. You might be under some kind of forced servitude, as these young men were. But ultimately, the world takes note. Ultimately, the world says, wow, there's something different. You see, they feared the Lord more than they feared Nebuchadnezzar. They feared the Lord, another way to look at it, is more, they feared the Lord more than they feared the world. More than they feared the devil himself. Family of God, there should be no comparison between your reverence for the Lord and your fear of the things of this world. Because at the end of the day, the only thing that the world can do is afflict you. That's it. You might even be in a situation to where God says, you know what? He's had enough. I'm bringing him home. That's all the world can do. But not so with God. God builds king and kingdom. God works works that are eternal, that last forever in us. He does things that no man can do. And what he does, he does with purpose. So many people, when you talk to them, they they feel purposeless, hopeless, lost. You know, as I I talk to young people, there's a lot of fear. I don't know what the future holds. The answer is you need to know who holds the future. Because if you know who holds the future, and you call him Abba Father, and you're resting and trusting in Jesus, then it's going to be okay. But if you're resting and trusting in this world, and you're making decisions based on what this world can give you, you are dead in your trespasses and sins, and you are lost. And when you take your last breath, it gets worse. You see, choices must be made. And the Babylonians were very wise. This took tremendous fortitude on these young men's part. It's from the Babylonians that we have the exact measurements of uh, the lunar distances and solar cycles. They traced; they were the first to trace the paths of the planets, and you know, came up with calendar dating and developed uh, a type of cuneiform. There's all kinds of things that the Babylonians did. And it would have been real easy for Daniel and Mishael and Azariah and Han and I to all go, well, you know, we're here in Babylon. We need to learn this stuff. I mean, after all, this is the place to be. How many Christians are drawn away by, wow, this is, you know, I got this degree and this is the place to be. I got this job. You know, I finally made it over 100K. I'm heading towards 200,000 a year. And if I just get a few more houses and a few more cars and a few more boats and a few more planes and a few more frequent flyer miles, I will have arrived. Oh, how sad that is. Because every one of those things that I just mentioned stays here. How many people have invested their life choices in things that have no eternal value? And it doesn't mean, and please don't take that too far and go, eh, oh, you know, I need to sell my car. I need to dump my house. You know, after all, I could live in a tent. That's not what I'm saying. 
Now, what I'm saying is, is if your God is like the God of the Babylonians, if the purpose is to get more of what stays here, and that's what drives you, you're in trouble. And I want to encourage you, as, as these young men are going to unfold before our very eyes, this incredible life of faith under the most extreme circumstances, they're going to do things that will boggle our minds and say things that only God could have told them. If you want that kind of life, then you've got to make the right choices. If you want boring, meaningless existence, then go after what the world has. I was reading an interview with Bill Gates about two weeks ago. And the substance, basically, of the interview with him was how he felt about life. And you know what the major component of his interview was? He was dissatisfied and still looking for his purpose. He has been the richest man on the planet, or one, two, or three, for more than a decade. He'd been somewhere in that top three. And he says, well, you know, the foundation we thought was going to do this, and Microsoft did that, and all of these incredible things. You're talking about a man who, who in his philanthropic trust, gave away something like $3 billion last year. And he's finding no satisfaction in it. He's looking to do something new, something better. It's because he doesn't have the eternal perspective. He just got the earthly one. Daniel had an eternal perspective. These men had an eternal perspective. They were looking to God. And thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. And Daniel remained there until that year. This statement will bring us to the next chapter. And what he's saying is, and that word that's trans- translated there, continued, really is saying it set the stage for. Daniel was steadfast. Daniel made the right choices. Daniel was in the midst of it. God had placed him somewhere, and in spite of all that God had allowed, Daniel was not just making the best of it, but he was making better of it. He was going to outlive Nebuchadnezzar. He was going to live long enough to see God faithful. And how I want that in my life. I want to live long enough to see God faithful. I look for that every day. I was sharing with a bunch of people today. My hope is heaven. My hope is not figuring out the whys and the wherefores to the economy, though I am concerned with those things. My, my concern really is, God, what do you think? God, what do you want? God, how would you have me act and live? What would you have me do with my time and my talent and my treasures? I pray God helps us to make great choices, critical choices. And when they come, that we'll turn to him and say, Lord, all that I want in this whole world is to do what you want. I want to stand. When everybody else runs, I want to stand. When everybody else has fear, give me strength. Dare to be a Daniel. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we can't help but be encouraged by the life of Daniel. Lord, how you've left him as this pillar of courage under fire. Lord, this this young man, a teenager, had more fortitude for you than the armies of Israel. Lord, who was willing to look the world in the eyes squarely and say, not so long as I have breath. God, give us that boldness. 
Give us a heart after your heart and minds that are intent on knowing you. Strengthen us, Lord. Cause us to lead in our homes. Help us to be the kind of neighbors that people talk to and see and they, and they know who our God is. Help us to shun, as Solomon said so wisely, those vain things. Help us to put away the false gods in our lives, Lord, as these young men did. Help us to make those critical choices to follow you. We love you. We bless you. We thank you for your word. Lord, continue to speak to us throughout this week and as we gather together again on your day. Would you bring us to to some new understanding of how great you are? Bless us, fill us, anoint us, rain down from heaven upon us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.